Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of The Other 50. Today, Bren and I have the wonderful opportunity to chat with Alyssa Knight, um, a well-known person in cybersecurity circle, fintech circle, someone who's been working in cyber for 20 years or over, a content creator, a cybersecurity influencer, an analyst, everything packaged in one and behind a beautiful mask. So, Elisa, welcome so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. And so for um, our listeners who haven't heard you speak or read any of your LinkedIn articles, can you tell us a little bit about what got you started in the first place and what are you doing at the moment? Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've been involved in, in several things up until now. The majority of the year has been spent on traveling around the world, different countries, Singapore, Tokyo, Germany, Sweden, just talking about my vulnerability research findings into 30 financial services mobile apps that I downloaded and reverse engineered, found hard-coded API keys and tokens and credentials in there for not only just the largest banks in the world, but also third-party payment processors that they leverage, P2P money transfer, um, you know, even Salesforce keys, uh, as well as AWS and you know S3 bucket tokens. So it's pretty scary. The findings were scary. It, it was interesting. The 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 findings from that vulnerability research actually took on a life of its own, and it really became more about the API vulnerabilities and the things that we're doing wrong around API security versus the other vulnerabilities that I found, like SQL injection and some of these other. These are things that just kind of took a backseat to the API security issues. Um, but it is a systemic problem. And uh, so I, I was invited to different conferences like API World, API Days, InfoSec Europe, um, just, just speaking about these. And also today or yesterday, I spoke at Money 2020. So it, it's, been a, it's been a fun year. The research that I will be starting, the new research that I'm looking into, uh, in 2020, I'm actually going to be doing dynamic code analysis of financial services mobile apps. So to this year, is, I was doing what's called dead code analysis or static code analysis, where I reverse engineered the apps and then brought it back to the source code and looked at the code. Now I'm going to be doing dynamic code analysis where I'm going to be interdicting the traffic between the mobile apps and the backend financial institutions, looking at things like man-in-the-middle attacks because of lack of certificate pinning and uh, other issues that can be found on the network layer. So I definitely consider myself to be a packet monkey. I love hanging out at the network layer. I'm, I'm definitely a layer three girl, that's for sure. So, so if you think about the things that you've found in looking at these 30 plus apps, um, what kind of grade would you give the cybersecurity practices within financial services, at least in the U.S.? An F minus. No, <laughs> I mean, are, are there ones? I couldn't, I couldn't help it. No, no. Like, I mean, it, look, out of the 30 apps, 29 of them had really bad things going on with them. The 30th app I wasn't able actually to do anything with because it was a German, yeah, it, was, it was so hardened. It was actually a German bank. And you know, I actually thought it would be reversed. I thought that the more secure banks would be US 
hey, go America. No. Um, and, uh, you know, the other, the, the problems, the worst problems would be found in some of the, you know, European banks. But it was quite the opposite. The, the German, the, the, the most hardened app was a German bank. But, you know, it's, yeah, so it, the findings definitely kind of caught me off guard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say that I'd give them an F minus. I, I would say an easy D. <laughs> Okay. What about? What, it, was, I mean, it was worse than. Okay, it was worse than I thought it would be. It would. It was definitely worse. Have you looked at um, any big fintech apps too, or just uh, primary banks? Uh, it was the entire financial services and fintech industry. So, uh, cryptocurrency wallets, insurance. It wasn't just banks. I, I okay. tend to say banks because it's just sexier. People love hearing about banks getting hacked, right? Money, uh, but. You know, I, I did definitely look at other verticals as well within the horizontal industry. So um, health insurance apps, car insurance apps, uh, you, you name it. Anything in financial services uh, was a victim. Okay. I, I'm actually curious when... When you present that, right, in, in many of the conferences that you talk about, or when you tell people that, what is their initial reaction? Do they say, oh, come on, we, you know, we, we are fine, we are secure, or, or what kind of reaction do you get from the execs? I mean, oh you know, we can never be completely safe, right? Oh, my God, Loki is a girl. <laughs> That's what I get. Oh my God, she's a chick. <laughs> no, it's just, you, I, I think you just, well, I think that's kind of what's fun about, you know, coming on stage dancing, not just dancing, but dancing with an anonymous mask on is I pull the mask off and they're just like, oh my God, it's a chick. Uh, you just don't expect women to be hackers, you know? And so, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I think that the, the initial gut reaction is, you know, um, you got to be kidding me. You know, it's a lot of the, because the, people will line up to talk to me after I get off stage. And, and I think that the initial reaction is historically has kind of been, oh my God, you have to be kidding. You know, this is 2019 and we're hard coding credentials in mobile apps. We're hard coding keys in mobile apps. How is this even a thing? You know, I mean, and that's really been my experience over the last two decades of working in cybersecurity is the same vulnerabilities tend to really just rear their ugly faces again and, you know, just reappear several years later. And I would say, though, too, a lot of that isn't so much so a tech problem. It's just people being lazy or people being, um, you know, not careful. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, what I always like to say, whatever can be made by humans can be broken by humans. And I think that this is a human is the weakest link in security problem. You know, the problem is, is that I've spoken to a lot of financial institutions and what seems to be pretty systemic in the industry is they'll do enterprise-wide security awareness training, right? So they'll spearfish their employees They'll require them to take CBT, a computer-based training, but there's no specific training modules for the developers to write secure code. And I think that's a systemic problem within the industry, within multiple industries that needs to get better, is organizations need to send their developers to secure code training. It just needs, it, they're not doing it. And a lot of the biggest offenders, that was the case, or they're outsourcing the development of their mobile app 
and there's no checks and balances where this third party will develop the app, they'll request keys, they'll hard code the keys, and then it gets published to the Play Store. It's, it's not, you know, it's not something that the bank, at least from my experience, has any visibility in. Well, in, in terms of, you know, the, the way that banks or fintech should go about checking these things, I mean, shouldn't they also hire third parties like yourself to dive in and try to break in, basically? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a big fan of let's break it ourselves before the bad guys do, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's definitely that's definitely important. So not only just performing static and dynamic code analysis with automated tools, but bring in a human, bring in an ethical hacker, bring in someone like myself who will come in there, attempt to break it, uh, attempt to find the holes. You're basically... You're hiring a bad guy, right? You're hiring, you're, you're, you're bringing someone in and finding the findings yourself before the person that is not on your payroll or that you're not paying finds the vulnerabilities and, and does something different with the findings. All right. So, so some of the banks um, in, the, in the U.S. especially, some of them have budgets that are almost $10 billion. Right. One would think that an IT budget of $10 billion or more uh, annually would allow for them to have really, really good folks that understand how to avoid these type of things. So it's not just money. It's not just, you know, making the decision to hire someone from the outside. It's really, you know, avoiding very basic mistakes. I just, I still don't understand how companies that large and that complex can't take a basic password out of the equation. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a curveball right now and you're going to, your jaw is going to drop. I hope you're sitting down. (laughs) Um, I spoke to one financial institution that actually, and, and this actually was, this wasn't just them. This seems to be pretty systemic as well as the financial institutions consider the mobile app to be a function of marketing, meaning that they treat it like the website. So marketing owns the website, which is considered their brand and branding. And the marketing department also, in many cases, owns the mobile app because they consider it to be very much like the website that's a function of marketing. And there were several instances where the cybersecurity group didn't have any visibility into the development of the mobile app because it was being owned by marketing. This is, I think, a firefight, if you will, internally, where marketing is wanting to maintain control over it as being a a branding effort uh, marketing communications uh, and PR, you know, it's it, where they work with the outside party to develop the mo- mobile app, the look and feel, it gets published, it gets created, and cybersecurity in those instances weren't involved. So something needs to, and unfortunately, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, it's not involved and also either that or afterthought, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just need to check the box. Right. And, you know, it's, and we're seeing this, this land grab, if you will, in the API space with AP, the management of the API gateways. There were uh, several financial institutions recently uh, where the marketing department owned the API gateway and it recently changed hands back over to security because of a problem. You know, it's, they want their metrics and statistics. Marketing wants the information on, you know, what's coming in 
over the API traffic and, you know, in some organizations actually own the API gateway. And so I think there's seems to be this land grab between marketing and, and the appropriate folks within the organization, which who should be owning stuff like this. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, you said, you know, and I think it resonates too with a lot of us as humans are the weakest link, right? And it doesn't matter which side of the coin you're looking at either from an organization development perspective or from a user perspective. In the end of the day, humans, we tend to make mistakes, right? Uh, Either intentional or unintentional. So a lot of the cybersecurity breaches are because of human error, if if you think about it. and from a user perspective, um, I still remember back uh, uh, quite a few years ago, I was working with a bunch of user groups and um, I saw people writing their password on sticky notes and put it next yeah. to the computer. Because, That's still a thing. <laughs> right? It is still a th- because they make it very complicated and people, well, well, I cannot remember. So what's the best way to do it? Write on the sticky and put it next to it. Well, uh, Duh, that is probably not the best way to go. So there are some new attempts. Um, if we look at, you know, in our industry of providing means of user to authenticate, either taking a selfie, using fingerprints, um, but people still gravitate towards password. Is there really anything that we can do to get users to, to, be, a little, to be a little bit smarter about what they do? You know, and unfortunately, I, I do have to say that the attacks are becoming way more sophisticated. So you see this Android malware recently that affected PayPal, where it actually, using the accessibility feature within Android, could actually replay the um, the pushes onto the actual crystal onto the screen of the phone and could replay that in order to do uh, get around the multi-factor authentication. Um, it's the, 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 ta- the adversaries are definitely getting more sophisticated in how they attack victims. I mean, we're definitely in a mobile first world now where the number of laptop sales are actually going down. And it's this, this crazy curve now that's happening where laptop sales are going down and mobile phone purchases are going up. People are wanting to use their phone for more things now. You know, um, I just was speaking to a financial institution yesterday, which was a client of mine. And they told me that the number of web browsers that are hitting their site have gone down to about 15% over mobile devices. And so that really, I think, puts into perspective how much of an attack surface there is with mobile phones and hackers are taking notice. Hackers tend to gravitate to where the biggest victim pool is. And so, you know, is there anything that we can do yeah, I really think a lot of the onus falls on the financial institutions. Case in point, when was the last time when you signed up for an online account with your bank, when they actually asked you, would you like to use a third-party multi-factor authentication device? Would you like us to ship you a Yubico key? Would you like to use your mobile phone 
as a push for multi-factor authentication. That doesn't happen. It's not by default. You have to get lost in a sea of links in several of the banks. I, I won't name them, but you know, you have to, you have to click on all these screens in order to get to the multi-factor authentication setup. When you when you think about the way that apps are set up and security is set up, uh, banks are most concerned, I think, with the security of corporate accounts and treasury accounts, and you know when you can move hundreds of thousands of dollars um, easily like that, and a little bit less so in consumer accounts. But when you think about you know things that would happen to a large credit card or checking account base for some of the larger banks, once you get in, you know you could effectively control any type of account once you have the keys to the kingdom. Right. But most of the time, you know, these sort of breaches end up stealing data and then putting it on the, the dark web for identity theft and things like that. Why don't they do more, like move money, you think? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Uh, I think it's because it's just so lucrative, right? You can double dip on that. So let me, get, let me explain. Uh, you know, data is definitely worth more than oil now. There's been several research reports that have been published on how much data is worth now. And adversaries can double dip on data they steal. So for example, if I steal, if you're a bank and I steal your data, I steal payment card information. I can put that up for sale on, on several black markets, uh, dark web markets, and profit off of the, the sale from that. Then I can use those cards to then order electronics and use meal accounts to ship those electronics that were purchased with these stolen credit cards to Eastern Europe using meal shippers and meal accounts. Um, I'm double dipping. I'm profiting twice on the same set of stolen data. So I think the reason why they don't do more, and that's, there's not to say that they don't wire money out. That's definitely what they were doing with the PayPal accounts with that malware. But there's definitely a, a reason that this is a multi-billion dollar shadow economy is because they are making so much money. The, I think the biggest mistake that we as practitioners, we as defenders tend to make is underestimating the adversary. These aren't 14-year-olds anymore picking their nose in their bedroom defacing websites. These are business people. They are running multi-billion dollar you know, like organizations. I mean, these are crime syndicates that are sign. And you know, I was actually just having this conversation with someone the other day. We are, for lack of a better analogy, we are defending against evil. I mean, think about it for a minute. This money, this illicit money that's being made off of the sale of this data that they're stealing, is going to fund human trafficking. It's going to fund terrorism. It's funding all these things. What do you think that those billions of dollars that are pouring into Eastern Europe off of this are going to? It's going to fund uh, these other areas that we've historically been non-digital, right? Human trafficking. I mean, this is not just, um, this is translating to other types of crime, for sure. So let's think about it for a moment then. I mean, you know, like what you were saying earlier, the, we, are, we are definitely in the, in the mobile first um, world. If I look at my kids, for example, right, they're always on, on their iPads. Um, they have their old iPhones that we've been using. They're barely on the laptop. Um, 
my daughter was trying to uh, smack the screen the other day of, of my Apple laptop because she's like, wait, <laughs> why is it that the screen doesn't work? Why can't I touch when the screen? When is Apple coming out with the touch screen? I'm, <laughs> right? so, I'm just waiting. I don't know why they're not doing it. Sorry. I, I, I know. I, I agree. And, and to them, they're like, you know, this is just common sense. It's intuitive, right? Um, what is this mouse thing? But um, so, so it is definitely a trend and, and that's what we're going to, that's what we're going through. There's no turning back. What are some of the big major challenges then, in, in your point of view um, as we continue to evolve, um, as we continue to push towards digital? Because, I mean, let, let's face it, right? If we think of a traditional bank infrastructure, it is kind of antique. Yeah, you know, and at Money 2020, they were talking about the fact that banks are now becoming technology companies. You think about it. I mean, it's like it used to be all this manual transfer and moving, and ma- now it's all digital. It's moving ones and zeros, right? And banks, def- it could definitely be argued that banks are technology companies now. Um, I think it would probably be more accurate to say that we're not moving to a mobile first world, like I said earlier, but an API first world. Because so if you think about it, these mobile apps and these devices are communicating over APIs. That's how everything is communicating. Smart meters, sm- connected cars, they're all communicating with APIs. And the problem is, is that we don't know how to secure APIs right now. CISOs are no longer st- keep you know being kept up at night anymore about you know, their employees clicking on links or file attachments and emails, that's, that's the old problem. Now what they're worried about is how many APIs do I have? Are they facing the internet? Am I securing them properly? Are we looking at the traffic? The average organization now runs over 620 APIs, 620. You know, they, they're, they're having, tr- they're, they're, right now CISOs are having trouble cataloging and maintaining a real-time asset database of all their assets in the environment. Now they have to add APIs to it. And oh, by the way, developers are launching new APIs all the time that are facing the internet and they don't know about it. You want to talk about shadow IT. That's not even, that was, that concept came about even before APIs. (laughs) So I think we're now in an API first world. And unfortunately, see, are walking around with hammers so everything looks like a nail to them. You know, they don't know how to secure APIs. Just because APIs speak the HTTP protocol, that doesn't mean that they, you know, they need to be secured like web servers. Unfortunately, they're securing them with web application firewalls. They're securing them with API gateways and it's the wrong tool for the job. So when you when you are at places like Money Twenty Twenty and presenting at conferences, um, lately uh, I've been seeing you like you were saying earlier, wear the anonymous or the Guy Fox mask. Um, talk about that, and then tell us about a couple of your memorable moments speaking um, either at client events or on stage. Um, you said the big I... reveal is a big deal, but like what else? What else is going on with the mask? Yeah, so that's the thing is I feel like the stuff that I'm talking about is stuff people can Google. Hell, they could go to my YouTube channel and watch the videos of it because it's up on my YouTube channel. But I feel like when people come to see me at shows, they want to be entertained. And I I definitely consider myself to be an entertainer. Um, You know, I, I, I like to come out dancing on stage, dancing to reggaeton or dancing to Billie Eilish or whatever. But, you know, I like coming out dancing, uh, wearing the mask. And, the you know, that's like said earlier, it's this big thing about like, oh, my God, 
you know, Loki's a chick. I, I, I thought, you know, I thought she was a guy, but you know, it's, it's people don't really, I think, expect for the purple hair and everything to come out when I take the mask off. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely like to uh, perform when I'm on stage talking about these problems and talking about these issues. I feel like the data also resonates differently. I feel like it, it's received differently versus falling asleep in your chair because the person is so monotone and they, just are not exciting to listen to. Uh, not, not that, you know, that's not, not that that's bad. There's people that present that way. That's fine. That, you know, do you, but that's not how I present. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I've, I, that's pretty much me on stage. Uh, you know, in 2020, uh, I've, I've got this new brainchild that I've launched, which is this fake bank decoy net. I'll be traveling around at different conferences speaking about that RSA 2020, uh, just different conferences talking about the findings and results from this fake bank decoy net that we've launched where we've launched these APIs that are facing the internet uh, for adversaries to break into so we can study their tactics and techniques. So are you actually going to be promoting um, people trying to do this? Are you actively looking for people to do this? Yeah, so we obviously are getting drive-bys, um, but you know that of people scanning the internet for for APIs or or you know victim uh, victim targets. Um, but we're also going to be going into the darknet forums and talking about this bank that's extremely vulnerable, that's got a broken implementation of FDX. Um, posting the key that we found to the forums, trying to get people to to break into it and poke at it. We're going to get a lot of uh, just a lot of intelligence from this. You know, a lot of this is probably the sexiest project I've been involved in in a very long time. Uh, we're, you know, Sun Tzu Art of War. In order to defeat your enemy, you need to understand your enemy. And this is the best way that I can think of understanding how adversaries are targeting and breaching bank APIs is to put up a fake bank and watch them do it. Wow. Well, will we be watching for the Chronicles next year? I can't <laughs> wait to hear about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, there's a lot of really uh, large companies who have come involved, gotten involved as sponsors. Sponsors have access to the raw data from the decoy net, so like the PCAPs of the traffic, the zero-day exploits and tools that are uploaded. And uh, then there's, of course, the consumers, like the banks who will be receiving the report, but they won't have access to the raw data. So there's going to be a lot of really great, you know, a lot of exciting things that are going to be presented at, at the at conferences next year regarding this. And I can't wait to do it. I'm excited. That's awesome. We can't wait to hear about it either. Yay. And so we will see you in 2020, I guess, on the road. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have to do a show again together where I can talk about the findings and talk more about fake bank. And I just think there's a lot of really cool things that are going to come out of it. So. That's cool. And we need more people like you too to keep pushing Yay. for it. Thank so you. thank you so much for joining us today. We know it's been very hectic, but um, we are grateful that you can make it. So thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Theo. Thank you, Bren. Thanks, Alyssa.